This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Can I run something by you and you tell me if it's weird, if what I did today was weird? Because <laughs> I'm losing all sense of Is that of why you reality. got me to sign this non-disclosure agreement before we did the episode? Yes. Okay. Thank you. And did you initial here? Yeah. And here? Yeah. And I'm going to need you to prick your finger and put your uh, fingerprint in blood here, oh, here. Yeah. yeah. And then spell your name out with blood like finger paint here. I'm feeling pretty dizzy now. This is really Yeah, that's that's part of the process. Don't worry. Okay. So, yeah. So, okay. Uh, last night it snowed here. It's not really, it's it properly, properly snowed. Same here. Yeah, it's picturesque, isn't it? Ireland is gorgeous when it snows. But I went on a walk. We had just like an evening of playing Among Us virtually and drinking and stuff. And afterwards we're done. Uh, I saw it was snowing and I went on a little countryside walk in the dark just to revel in the beauty of it all. And while I was walking, t- I took a lovely picture of the street lit up by the street lights. Uh, and right after I took it, a small little fox ran in front of me. And I went, and he stopped and he looked at me. We shared a beautiful little moment and then he went off. And I've seen this fox before and I'm pretty sure I figured out where he lives. Um, not in a creepy way, but I just like saw a, like a little track marks that looked like they're made by a fox. And there's a hole in a hedge that's shaped like a fox. Not shaped like, a, you know what I mean? It's not like a <laughs> Looney Tunes cartoon where he crashed through it. But it's the approximate dimensions of a, of a, of a den where a fox would go. And when I saw him last night and every other time I've seen him has been around that area. And seeing as it's so gosh darn cold here now, I've got worried about him today. So I went on a walk just prior to us recording and I th- threw a slice of ham in the <laughs> in the fox shaped hole. Uh, that is his house. Is that? What's your question? Okay. My question is, is that okay to do? Why wouldn't it be okay? I don't know. I don't want to like get, I don't know. It depends. I feel like it's the type of thing where someone goes, oh no, you can't give a fox ham. They'll explode. No, they definitely won't explode. Foxes eat anything. Right. Like literally. Because he's not like, I don't think there's a danger of him getting it too accustomed to me. I'm not going to give him ham every day. Well, I mean. Well, maybe. (laughs) I I would be more concerned about the fact that you're inviting a fox into a house with hens. Isn't there like No 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 it's not it's not it's not near it's like on a walk away from my house it's not like in my garden or anything. Mm. It's like further up the road. Unless he saw me and now he knows me as the ham man. Ham man. He can and follow your he, hammy trails. Yeah, he can follow the ham smell which I secrete anyway That's true. regardless of whether very, or not I've got a pocket full of ham. Very hammy man. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not sure exactly if what you did was morally correct, legally yeah. correct, ethically, theologically. I just afraid because like, what's he eating? If not my ham, anything. He's a fucking fox. They eat anything. Well, then he's eating ham tonight. Yeah, well, he's he'd be delighted with himself. Can of Guinness, imagine bit of you, ham. Imagine if you woke up in the middle of the night, you went out to go to the bathroom with a slice of ham there. I'd eat it immediately. You could down on. Sure, you'd only be delighted. I would just gobble it up. Would ask no questions. Get back into bed. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. This is exactly what I wanted. I I feel better about my decision, my ham decision. Okay. Was that you want to talk about or? Did you have a ham-based dilemma? No, totally ham-free weekend in the Burn household. It was snowing a lot here. Hercules had his first experience of snow. Oh, how'd that go? I recommend checking out my Instagram if you want to see that. It's brilliant. He ran around, tail wagon, trying to eat it all. <laughs> was he Delighted confused? Himself. Not confused, just kind of happy. Yeah. He's like, what's this shit? Aww. Woohoo! Aw. Bless that dog. Does he like ham? Oh, he loves ham. I'm going to bring your dog ham next time I see him. Good idea. You know, it's it's like my granddad always said, you have a pocket full of ham and did, 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 did listen to what ham. There, it brought it back. <laughs> what ham politics? Is it too late for a rebrand? <laughs> You're going fierce heavy on this ham. I, but... <laughs> Well, th- we're, we are sponsored in this episode, but not by Ham. You may be oh, surprised. Did the to hear. Ham board, the Ham board, haven't been responding to our emails then? No, no, the Ham Corp, Ham Corp, haven't been listening. Fucking, it's so hard. To, I just want to be in the pocket of Big Ham, and it's such a hard pocket to get into. But you see, just because you put things in your pocket doesn't mean that you're in their pocket. Yeah, I've got my own Ham pocket, and I look. It's a whole thing. Well, we'll, we'll this is a thing we'll talk about later. We'll talk with our producers. So, what? What is what Ham? It's not um, a ham cast, despite the name. 
not a ham cast. We rarely talk about ham. In fact, if you are joining us for the first time, mm. um, we most often talk about politics, but in a very roundabout way. We eventually get there after much meandering. Yeah. Hams, yeah. Ham anecdotes. Yeah. Hamicdotes. Hamicdotes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a po- it's all things to all people. If by all things you mean political splainers and to all people we mean our intimate audience. <laughs> intimate? <laughs> man, you're you're hopped up on ham. You're getting weird. <laughs> I've got that's the ham fumes, man. And it could be the beer either that I'm drinking. <laughs> uh, before we get into our official paid ad, uh, we would like to ask you to give us money so we don't have to do paid ads. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, we talked about before the Headstuff Plus platform, the membership platform that our network has launched. Uh, it's relatively new, uh, but we would love you to go join us. Uh, it's Fiverr a month plus VAT. And for that, you get uh, access to exclusive bonus episodes. We have three up there now. Um, three pretty varied ones, I, yeah, I would say. I'd say so, it's yeah. spread their stuff there, yeah. There's one where we're very drunk and we play a political video game. There's one where we talk about the storming of the Capitol building in the US. And there's one where, a silly one, where we talk about fictional characters we think would make the best contemporary world leaders. Yes, and so we yeah. will continue to put up more content there. So if you want to get to that, go over to Headstuff podcast.com yeah link in the show notes and there's also put link in the show notes to like a little trailer for one of the bonus episodes a little animation we made um so you can see what that's all about let's move on uh we have sponsored this episode very quickly we will mention we are sponsored by season two of 180 degrees a podcast by the sustainable energy authority of ireland so yeah, this isn't a sponsorship from like a cigarette company. This is like a legit, really good thing for the world. And this I think will you should help really be listening world. to. This will help the world. These these are good guys. Um, it's all about, the podcast is all about what you and your local community can do to become more energy efficient. Yeah. Uh, 180 Degrees. It's a podcast about answering these questions by sharing the stories of people across Ireland working towards a cleaner energy future. They chat to all sorts of people about all sorts of things like sustainable transport, energy in the home, communities. Uh, They hear how businesses, public sector bodies are cutting carbon emissions, all that good stuff to keep us and our ham-based lives going in a cleaner way. Yeah. Uh, 180 Degrees is brought to you by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, supported by the Government of Ireland. Link in the show notes. Go and listen. It is a good show. If they weren't paying us, I'd still say that. Yeah, exactly. This is definitely the type of thing we would shout out, uh, even if it weren't a paid ad. Uh, It doesn't have the unethical kind of ambiguity of big ham. Yes, exactly. Um, so So that's a plus. I was actually in my attic today and noticed that I could definitely use going onto their website and seeing how I could make it better because it's fucking cold up there. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you can, yeah. Yeah, needs need some of that sweet more, insulation. Just, or just get more dogs. More dogs? <laughs> you just fill your house with dogs. Dog What's that going to do about the attic? They can't get up this, this ladder. And put them up there. It's fine. Uh, is your, pff, okay, your house clearly isn't doggy accessible. We'll talk about this afterwards. <laughs> Steve, uh, I've been watching... A lot of ER lately. You have. I don't know if, I don't know if we've talked about this. Um, and I mean, Steve, a fucking lot of ER. You forget There's, You forget about these old shows that they used to make. Like, they used to go on all year long for many years. Yeah. Every week. Like, we're, we're very used to now, like, your HBOs and your Netflixes and stuff. Yeah. Like, your premium limited series where they might do maybe 8, 9, 10, maybe 13 episodes a season. And they're all, like, really, you know, big budget all come out once type thing but there was a period in, in television that's it's still kind of going on now but it was much more popular where a show like er which had 15 seasons 22 episodes a season like do the maths on that it's an incalculable number like no one knows <laughs> it's like there are more episodes of er than there are stars in the universe or grains of sand in their planet george clooney was 13 when he started in er and then when he finally got into movies in his 40s they were only mm. halfway through the show yeah um, and as we all know now, George Clooney has transcended time and become a, a chronomancer because just in order to fit in the sheer amount of episodes of VR, um, again, an incalculable, infinite amount of VR. I'm about two thirds of the way through it. Uh, Why are we talking about it? I forget. Oh, well, because like it just got me nostalgic for the 90s, you know, like a simpler time. Yeah. A more easygoing time, a time when there was only 150 Pokemon, Steve. Remember that? Uh, 151 if you include Mew. Yeah, that's true. Uh, a time where if you wanted to watch The Nutty Professor, you had to go down to your local extra vision and rent it from a snotty, greasy teen. Yeah. And you would like, 
you would try and convince them that it's okay that you can get it even though it was like 12's parental guidance and your parent wasn't there because they were in the shop and you know yeah. that they couldn't and be arsed you're going three in. years old yeah you're like well probably seven or eight and you're like no yeah. come on let me take it and they're like oh you need your mother to approve and you're like oh she won't come in Eddie Murphy gets into some real racy stuff in this one <laughs> He dresses up as a bunch of women and it awoke in something in me personally and I don't think you're ready for that experience. <laughs> I remember when he's dressed up as the fat granny and he goes, Hercules, Hercules. Is that why what? you named your dog Hercules? One of the reasons. Yeah. That I hardly ever. Cartoon. I hardly ever imitate a large obese black white lady shouting Hercules now. Uh, well, you know, this is just the start of a new year Steve there's time enough to change in many ways uh, but yeah like I said I've just been nostalgic for the 90s especially I don't know whether it's you know it's we talk about it all the time the new cycle can feel a little bit dour particularly lately and you know nostalgia is there something going on nostalgia is a uh, don't don't look over there it's fine just look over here at uh, at uh, George Clooney with a shockingly dark head of hair that's almost distracting when you're watching him act he's so handsome uh, he's very handsome Everyone in that show is very handsome. The original Dr. McDreamies. Yeah. But yeah, just, you know, nostalgia is a powerful, powerful drug. And uh, I think, you know, it's not good to live in the past too much, but it's fine to dip a toe in every so often. And I think, I think this episode is a good toe dipping, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> would, you, would you agree it's a good toe dipping? It's a fucking excellent toe dipping. <laughs> Do you think we need to clear that with Julie that we talk about this being a good toe dipping app? No, we're going in. We're going straight in. So we've mentioned Julie. Julie J is a comedian. Uh, she is a podcast host of Crimeland, but also more importantly, she is co-host of Up to Ninety, mm. a sister headstuff podcast on our network, where her and Emma talk about everything to do with the nineties. Yeah, so, they're not so much toe dipping as they are. Oh, they go full body, just jumping in. Swimming it's like you know 90s. the 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 trope where you go up the diving platform and then. Whew, up. They, they do that into the 90s every yeah. single time covered in double denim emerged covered <laughs> in double denim <laughs> yeah they could they could sing the entire first album by Spice Girls just like that any single time without thinking without referencing what the lyrics are they just go bow, sing it all yeah that's it we didn't uh, mention Spice Girls in the episode <laughs> oh my god how do we not there's a look there's a lot of things that happened in the 90s that we didn't touch on would you believe we didn't cover an entire decade in the hour long podcast that we recorded um, but it's a good one and that's enough farting around from us let's just d- take off your socks Steve we're dipping our toes ooh it's cold <laughs> ooh. ooh it looks lovely yeah it's done right outside my, my window here there's like a little robin that lives in a bush and so when I'm working he occasionally just hits on the windowsill and I've just yeah it's very um, Actually, you have, it's very snow white you have a robin you have a pet robin I have a real robin I have multiple robins actually a true grape sim well now night. you're just showing off multiple robins know, right? how, many, how many robins <laughs> do you have Julie uh, I have zero <laughs> I have zero but I do well, I'll send you one of mine I think the reason I have zero robins is because I do have a cat called Molly um, who nah. now hilariously when we adopted her we were all we were all led to assume that Molly was both blind and deaf and it has since materialized she is neither so I have to say well played Molly well played and she's eight I mean she's we adopted like the oldest cat in Ireland she's like 14 or 15 um so she's pretty old but she's getting increasingly sprightly it's gas because she kind of played up the disability like for a while (laughs) And then one day she just was like, the jig is up. Once she got her own bedroom, she was like, I can see Grant. I'm settled. And I can also, and suddenly started responding to her name and stuff. We're like, really? This is like a suave con man cat. Like, yeah. this cat is a grifter. She is a grifter, but I respect her for that. And even taking her to the vet, it's gas because the vet here in, well, the vet in Dingle, he's a real farm vet. Do you know, like he's mm. not, like you You say you're bringing a cat in and he's just there with the needle. Like before you even bring the cat in, he's ready to put that cat to sleep. Like he's just, <laughs> he's a cattle vet. Yeah, and then even even with that, he was like, "I was like, I'd say she's about fifteen, is she?" And he was like, "At least." And I was like, "Jesus, like, money scares me. Like, I can't believe I don't know how long she's been finding her disability for." But anyway, look, she's landed on her paws. Beautiful. Should we get into it? Oh yeah, sorry, go. No, no, this is great. This no, is like I, I might even include all this. I was gonna say if you're, I was actually gonna ask a re-recording. Oh yeah. Oh, are we? 
sorry. Yeah, no, let's let's just jump into the nineties. I swear, the the L nineties. Well, what age are you guys, by I'm the way? Thirty three. Okay. I'm I'm thirty. Okay, <laughs> so Richie's the baby. Richie, well, I've got I've got I'm a very grey haired baby. I've got a, an awful lot of grey hair that I'm very insecure about for my age. I've have done since I was nineteen. Really? Oh, that's so interesting. Because <laughs> actually, my granddad he went white when he was ten. His hair just like he was a silver what fox. What happened to him? I he, do you know what? He just had a re. I'd say back in the day, you know what I mean. He was like a fisherman. I'd say from age eight. So by the time he hit ten, he was just wrecked. He was a silver fox by the time he made his. <laughs> he was an old soul by the age of ten. Yeah, honestly, but I but I, it's funny now. Okay, so you're 30, 30, 33, 30. Okay, yeah. So mm. I'm trying to do the maths on that. So you, Richie, you were just born in 1990. Yeah, I'm 1990. Yeah, I just yeah came in there fresh. You may notice that a lot of our 90s references <laughs> that we have piled up are late 90s. So we'll be... Yeah. I was, yeah. You you probably were asking your grandparents what it was like in the 90s. <laughs> what it was like in the 90s. Tell me about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Grandad. Oh, uh, it was great. You know what? The 90s, I mean, I think the thing with the 90s for me is you're always going to look back on that period where you kind of came of age and you were getting the first mm. shift and you were a teenager. You're always going to look back on that as the golden era. So for me, that's why mm. the 90s, I'm always going to have such growth for it. I mean, yeah, it's especially now because the 90s are very, very in vogue right now, mm. like in terms of fashion, in terms of music, TV and movies and stuff. Are, a lot of them are, you know, hearkening back to the 90s. And I guess we want to like start off by asking you, what is it about the 90s that that resonates so well, like right now with where, where we're living today? Well, I kind of think I don't even know if there's anything particular about the 90s. I think it's the natural progression of things that you're always going to go back to you look back to former time with rose tinted mm. glasses, aren't you? So I know in the 90s, we would have been really fascinated by, say, the 70s and like, say, the flared jeans were back in and that 70s show was very big. And, you know, we would have looked back to that in a similar way to how people look back to the 90s now. And you see that even with the fashions and everything. But I mean, the 90s was great because it was so cheesy. <laughs> and I think people like to embrace a bit of cheese, you know, mm. so I, I think it was definitely a really cheesy time. Like, you know, the 80s, I always think of the 80s always has this really cool, dark edge to it as a decade. Mm. But I actually don't know, does the 90s have any street cred whatsoever? It was just so in your face. The colors were insane. The fashion was just off the charts. It it was so cringe. I think that's what people love about it. Yeah, and I guess you're right. Everyone always, when you look back, roast into glasses, like nostalgia is very good at sanding off the edges, the oh, hard corners of yeah, things. Oh, yeah, of course. I, like I'd imagine in the 40s, everyone looked back to the roaring 20s with envy. You know, that, that kind of mm. way that I think it's it's always it's it's almost a generational thing, isn't it? Yeah, they're like, oh, the Great Depression. Sure, it wasn't that depressing. Bit was of crack, it? yeah, it but they, a bit of crack there we had. Uh, yeah, the Great Depression, but like they had nice dresses on the plus side. Swings and roundabouts for sure. Um, no, but I I do think yeah, it's it is probably the natural progression of things. I have a special soft spot for it because I think you're always going to look back on that decade where, as I said, you were you know fallen in love fallen out of love it was just there was so much stuff going on like so many seminal films and tv shows and you know you were going to your autograph book and you know you were writing to the likes of jennifer aniston thinking she was going to get back to you it was still it was still an interesting time in terms of our relationship with celebrity as well because the paparazzi wasn't really a thing so right. you know even i mean again you guys now wouldn't remember this but it was funny because i knew we were going to be talking about the 90s so i was thinking back to brian adams was so huge and again this is what i mean about the 90s it was okay to be cheesy like cheese was mm. in so you know to me now people would almost be a bit snobby be about the likes of like Brian Adams and Celine yeah. Dion and Bon Jovi and all these bands which were kind of big in the 90s but when he played the point in 1996 I remember he had for some reason I still don't know why Brad Pish was in town as well at the same time and a friend of mine went to the Brian Adams concert in the point and I think it was 96 and Brian Adams and Brad Pitt were like signing autographs outside and it, it was still it was still that time when like autographs were everything yeah you know so it wasn't like getting selfies it no, was no and I, I think sign my chest I think you see in terms of celebrity 
it, it was different in that you couldn't get the selfies and stuff. The only evidence you had that you met this person was this autograph, which let's face it, you could have like scrawled yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like there was, mm. there wasn't paper trail in terms of celebrity. And then also there was the distance between you and celebrity. Whereas now I feel because obviously we're, you know, following them on Instagram and the likes and you're kind of seeing people in their kitchen and it, it it's not really the, it, it, it kind of takes from that whole idol worship actually, thing. You I know have a tragic I mean? story about this, actually. I was um, a very big Man United fan when I was a kid, despite the fact that now I couldn't tell you a single player that plays for any football team in the last 10 years. <laughs> but I um, I went over with my dad a good few times when I was younger. And one of the times we went to the stadium early, queued up to get autographs. And I got all the superstars. I got Dwight York. I got Andy Cole. I got Beckham. I got everybody. And um, But the thing is, I ended up losing the autograph book on the ferry ride home. I mean, oh, God, that is such a 90s story. Lou, and you know what? <laughs> Somebody sat on that ferry and they really, they struck gold. They picked up this autograph book and it was all I hope so. The other option is that it's in the bin, but I hope that was what happened. Yeah. But so. I mean, no. And, and you remember you'd get um, the Smash Hits magazine yes. was very big as well at the time. And you'd get the celebrity addresses, but it was so funny because again, it would be, um, thinking like Winona Ryder, Hollywood, California. It, it was it, like it was a very generic address. Like writing you Santa still, Claus. <laughs> yeah, you would still write them, and you'd be shocked that they did that they didn't get that they didn't get back to you. So, but there there was that. I almost kind of envy that in a way. You know, well, sorry, I almost missed that in a way about celebrities that they did seem so separate and almost like this divine entity. Mm. Whereas now. They're not. You are. And I mean, a lot of that is like social media and the paps, you know, catching them without the makeup first thing in the morning. And that's like really horrible, like invasive cultural phenomenon that we have. I mean, when you think about it with the paps, they're so recent as a cohort. Like the only time I ever heard of paparazzi in the 90s was when Princess Diana died. Yeah. I was like, we mm. were all like, what are paparazzi? It was still so alien to us. Who are these, the these gangs going around murdering royals? What's going on? I know. <laughs> I was, but honestly, I thought they were like an Italian mafia group. I mean, because <laughs> it, it does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? Paparazzi. Mm. But it, we just mm. had no idea who, the, who these people were because that was still the time when you only saw celebrities in the likes of Hello Magazine, etc. And it was just all very pristine and contrived. Yeah. Um, I think we should probably talk a little bit of politics or like his, like yeah. that side of things. We, we were talking about your granddad and how hard he had it, probably like in the early <laughs> 90s when he was working on fish and chips at the age of six. So like, or maybe the late 80s. But a lot of people seem to have it in the mind that the 90s were kind of the neck decade that Ireland was able to shake off its shawl, mm. kind of swap mm. the donkey and cart for SUVs and join the modern Western world. I wonder, would you agree with that? Or is that kind of just nostalgic thinking? Oh, no, I think for sure. Like it was definitely, it was a defining era for this country, for sure. Um, In a way that I think it wasn't necessarily for other countries. So it was probably the first time, I mean, like, you know, I'm not an expert in these things, but I think it was the first time that emigration really slowed. So the start of the 90s was, I mean, it was very much more the same. You know, we were still viewed as uh, a really poor country in Europe and we were kind of categorized as like poor. But then towards obviously the end of the 90s, we had the Celtic Tiger and all that crack. And Intel, do you remember Intel came along? Yeah. I think that was huge because we were like, wow, an American company wants to base themselves here. And we just thought it was because it, we just thought at the time it was because we were a good crack and really hard workers and had no knowledge of like really favorable tax rates. We were like, it's because they really like us as people. <laughs> but I think, I honestly think Intel, when they landed in Nisa, that was a huge shift because this was a major multinational company. And then they kind of, I suppose they kind of paved the way for other companies to come along. And it was definitely the first time in my living memory that emigration was kind of going the other way. So people weren't emigrating to the same extent. And instead of that, we had actually people wanting to come and live in Ireland, which to us 
insane. I mean, that just blew our minds completely. So it was definitely a massive shift for sure. Also, like the if we even look at like specific events, like politically, 93, was it when uh, homosexuality was decriminalized? I mean, insane. Like actually, Garold Farrelly, who love and adore Garold, of course, absolutely hilarious comedian. But he does talk about that, that really by the time 93 came along, uh, we like it's it is mental to think that it was illegal until then. Mm. And he does talk about the fact for a country that won the Eurovision so many times, I think by the time we got to 1993, we're like, guys, the jig is up. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Come on. But it is, it's, it's, I mean, that's why, you know, people probably do still view us as somewhat antiquated in our policies and our outlooks, which is so unfair because I think in comparison to any other country in the Western world, we have done such a shift and we are now so progressive in so many ways. And it's so recent. I mean, to think up to 1993 that homosexuality was, you know, still illegal. And then fast forward to what what year was the marriage referendum again? 2015. Was it 2015? I mean, that's, I mean, what, two decades? And we've actually yeah. gone, we've done a complete 180 on it. So I think sometimes we kind of need to applaud ourselves. In, I mean, we definitely have a lot of work to do for sure. Mm. But I think that's pretty impressive that we went from there to there. And even the divorce referendum, do you remember when that, well, and again, you guys would have been, would have been very young, but I can remember that was so huge. There's people that I would still love and respect and they would have actually voted no in the divorce referendum. I mean, that's how contentious it was. And it seems ridiculous now looking back because you mm. think, I mean, divorce is such a, it's a thing you take for granted. But like people I know who are not by any, like they're certainly not conservative people, but they did vote no because I, I can even remember um, like seeing the, you remember the billboards, there was a, a legal case taken because there was this one billboard in particular and it was, I think, Bye Bye Daddy was the caption yeah. on it. It's kind of, it's notorious now, but it was the idea that if you vote this in, you can kiss goodbye to the family unit. And people were really scared. And it was, it was so huge at the time. And then the flip side is, I suppose, politically speaking, we still had these kind of, I guess, almost these caricatures. Of, I know every politician's always a caricature, but I look back and when I think of like Albert Reynolds was Taoiseach. And, you know, you had Dermot Morgan with the song, We've a Country Western Taoiseach. Do you remember that one? That song was a great song. (laughs) So Albert Reynolds, of course, had made his money because he had a pet food company. I don't know if you remember this. So he had like a pet food company and Dermot Morgan had this great um, song. He's a country Western Taoiseach. His accent, yes, it's flat. He's a country Western Taoiseach, loved by every dog and cat. (laughs) But... It, but he that was Albert Reynolds like he and I can still remember him standing on the tarmac of the Shannon of Shannon Airport when Boris Yeltsin came to visit I don't know if you remember this one yeah when Yeltsin was too drunk to get off the plane the he was circling the yeah. Shannon euphemism was born yes and and you know it's still to this day in my family if somebody's had one too many tipples <laughs> we still say they're circling over Shannon like, he's <laughs> circling over Shannon is he and but I mean such a Good phrase, but just remembering Albert and his missus was there with the flowers, and the flowers were so grim. I mean, I don't know where Mrs. Reynolds got these flowers, but come on, I really was like honestly, I'd say petrol station in Ennis. They're like the flowers, and like (laughs) the two of them are just standing there. But I just think Albert Reynolds, like you know, again, he was still that caricature, and obviously, we'd Bertie Hearn floating about and. Um, Dick Spring. I, I don't know if you guys remember Dick Spring. I was a big fan of Dick Spring. Can I get can I get an introduction to Dick Spring? Because the the name sounds familiar because it's a very iconic name. I mean, it's a po- it's a porn star name. Let's face Isn't it, it. Dick, Spring. Dick Spring. He's so he he was the leader of the Labour Party, and he was from Tralee. So you've got Dick Spring Road. Dick was also his dad, obviously Dick Spring Senior. But so he was the leader of the Labour Party, and he had a porn star name, and he also had a porn star tash. That was the thing with Dick. And there was definitely we all kind of had a few stirrings for Dick for sure. Like there was something. About Dick, definitely, and uh, I can remember the the Rosa Trulli. This is so funny. The Rosa Trulli obviously would be on in August every year in Trulli, and Dick, of course, being from Trulli, would and the leader of the Labour Party would always be in attendance. It was so funny because it coincided with Dick's birthday. So they they actually on occasion would sing Happy Birthday to Dick in the audience, and I mean it's just so nice. 
going to, it just wouldn't happen now. I, I think no. aside from anything else, politicians, which, you know, with obviously, I guess, primarily because of Twitter and things like that. But like, you know, you'd be cutting politicians down left, right and center. I mean, that's kind of what we do now. But back then, you know, the camera would focus in on Dick and then we're like, oh, happy birthday, Dick. And everyone would sing happy birthday to Dick in the tent. It's just madness. A simpler time. <laughs> A simpler time is right. Before we move off the politicians, can we talk a bit about Bertie? Because I think yeah. being of the late 90s, he, he has just left us a an indelible impression as that's what oh. Irish politics is for me. And I think it's going to take, he, yeah. it's going to take so long for it not to be just Bertie-isms. He's, mm. He did. He was so iconic, wasn't he? I guess as well, because he very much represented, I think, almost our transformation as a nation, because he went from this guy who was going around in the anorak, like, which kind of in the eighties, it usually looked like it was covered in food. Like he was a bit <laughs> rough and ready. Do you know what I mean? Like there was just always some strange spillage on Bertie's anorak. And then by the end of the 90s, he had kind of, I guess, rejigged the whole image and all that. And I mean, he's he was a funny one because in our house, we were super anti-Fianna Fáil, like major anti-Fianna Fáil household. So we would have always kind of despised Bertie uh, a little bit. And then, you know, obviously none of us were kind of aware of what was to come. But I know when I was growing up, uh, kind of the popular thing to say in my gaff when you weren't talking about people circling over Shannon was we all were of the opinion even I as a worldly 10 year old was of the opinion that like the rainbow government which were previous of course to Bertie that they had kind of set the Celtic tiger up for Bertie and he was just kind of reaping the rewards you know that kind of way um, but I, I think again in terms of characters like he was just the quintessential political character I mean he was a comedian's dream for Minister sure Minister of Finance without a bank account and you know what you couldn't write it because even that recent interview did you see that one on German television that no. he walked out no. of. Oh, did he? Um, yeah, he walked out of it because again, somebody was kind of bringing it back to that period when he like basically led us all to believe that he did not have a bank account and he was the minister for finance, but he actually walked out of the interview. That was only this summer um, that he walked out. Maybe it was even after the summer, but relatively recently. And he didn't want to be reminded of that. But it, like, to be fair, it was kind of hard to give any credence to anything he said after he was trying to let us believe that that was the case. But I think as a country, and it's still a major problem here, but certainly during the 90s and because we still had this very, we were still complete chancers in every sense. We didn't have few white collar crime. So we kind of viewed, like if you were kind of, if you were a little bit kind of, I suppose, taking chances with monies and, you know, if you were kind of making shortcuts and, trying to kind of, I suppose, pay as little tax as possible. We kind of view that as a really kind of fair play to you kind oh, of yeah. thing. You're a cute, you know, Usher, he's just a bit of a yeah. cute whore. And we would <laughs> say that with fondness, that Usher, look, he's just a bit of a cute whore. So sure. We do I the think, self. We do the same yeah. ourselves. And even now, we I think we still view white collar crime in that way that we're like, Asher, look, fair play to them. Mm. Yeah. It's a problem. It is a problem. It's definitely it's a defi- problem. Yeah. It's like, it's a bit of a split at the moment with Leo Varadkar and the leaking of the the medical document the medical agreement I know like there's still some people are like ah sure look you'd be doing the same yourself wouldn't you <laughs> I know and it's I guess it's that kind of camaraderie thing almost that people are in cahoots with each other it's just really really bad yeah. we, st- we mm. still have that kind of almost like nepotistic attitude that the words is a product of being a small country Probably. like it almost feels like a large neighbourhood where... it's a bit parochial but then again Iceland don't have it and they're way fucking smaller than us so That's we true. could get there if we work harder did they not have yeah. it in Iceland they're a lot less parochial in that sense than we would be like they would be a lot more honorable and expect a lot more from their politicians in that sense like even um, Bjork I only found out the other day Bjork's dad helped rewrite the constitution that was rejected by the main fellas because it was too uh, too complex and stuff but they were trying to they're trying their best to hold politicians to account and you don't get away with doing someone a favor just because they're your cousin or something like that they just don't do wow. stuff like that uh, you know them Scandinavians are always better than us that's, they are always better, aren't they? People always use the likes of Sweden as a metric. I remember in the 90s, Bjork, when she was giving, well, not giving out, but when she was talking about Denmark and the whole colonization of Iceland, I, mm. up to that point, had been completely unaware of that situation. Yeah, Denmark used to be one of the angriest countries in the world. It was great. Yeah. 
it really made me look at Borgen again and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also in the 90s had plenty of cracks spinning out big cultural products that kind of took the world by storm. We've hit on the Eurovision, but I think for me as well, like remember when we won with that song, The Voice and stuff? And um, I am the voice. <laughs> yeah, love us. <laughs> well, I Richie, still, that's I such a good, Richie, day. that was such a good I'm iteration. the voice that always <laughs> is calling you. I am the voice. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we had to send Dustin in at some point because we were like, we can't afford this anymore. And yeah. we obviously could, had to send somebody. So we're like, we'll just send Dustin and hopefully that will put the end to this. But yeah, we were completely bankrupted by the whole thing, for sure. Were we really or was that a Father Ted joke? I think we were. I think okay. we couldn't afford it anymore. That's my theory. I mean, I, did we really want to keep winning, winning the Eurovision? I don't know what it was actually bringing to us, economically speaking. Was it bringing I think I'd like us... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like maybe now. I'd love to see us win it now because it feels like such a big bombastic festival and yeah. everything that surrounds it that maybe maybe all those extra bells and whistles would, would pack but, something yeah, on economically. It, but it would be nice to win it now, but it's never gonna happen now, is it? Oh, it's just gonna be a done over Zoom now anyway, probably until And I <laughs> until... don't understand. It's like the Eurovision and they're like, now Australia. You're like, what is going on? Australia is this can't the... win at least. We actually we do a Eurovision episode every year. Because we, oh, have, yeah, we, we have a close friend who's one of the biggest fans of Eurovision in Ireland. And Richie is a massive fan as well. And I, I'm dragged along. Um, oh, it's a great show, though, isn't it? It is. It's 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 a fantastic just celebration of of pomp and joy. And I, I love how like apolitical it is, despite the fact yeah. that there's some political undertones to it. It is like a nice palate cleanser. That's actually so true. Mm. That's very yeah, we need true. To do it more of that kind of stuff, and I do like how, like, they're talking about bringing it to America and doing a like a state by state version. But I don't feel like I feel like that they'll commercialize it too much. I like the lack of yeah kind of cynical commerciality to it that that we have. And I would you think that the nineties was again the golden era for the Eurovision, not because we won it so much, but just because it, it the nineties itself was so cheesy, and then the Eurovision is like I suppose. It fit me in. I think it was it was less there was less dissonance with the 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 event itself and the decade. Whereas I feel like now it's so camp, it really clashes yeah. with like the music yeah. scene as it exists today. Eurovision is very separate. Like the movie yeah. Eurovision, that the parody movie that came out this year, that never would have yeah, I don't think you could have parried it in the same way in the nineties because it was too it was too it gelled too well with pop culture, I think. Yes, there was a real synergy there. Yeah, like yeah. every year you would have a couple of songs from the Eurovision that would actually do well in the charts. But now it's absolute rarity, something like last year's Iceland song that would actually come out and be successful. Like you'd be very surprised to hear, and here Azerbaijan's hit in the top 10 in Ireland. That's not going to happen there. Way too camp. Mm, yeah. Iceland are just kidding us and everything. They've got values. <laughs> they are doing, getting the Eurovision songs in the charts. Like York's what's dad. going on? Ronan Skeeton dad hasn't written one constitution. We've got nothing to stand up <laughs> <laughs> I know, poor old Ronan. Um, and then do you remember the UK? They had some great Eurovision songs in the 90s and we were still giving them nothing. Yeah, good. Wasn't happening. Right. I mean, I guess right. the the Good Friday Agreement was on the way, but we just still weren't quite ready. Well, let's talk about that because that's another, like we can't talk about the 90s and we can't talk about politics without talking about the Troubles and the Good Friday Agreement. You know, at the start of the decade, it, the troubles were raging. But by the end of the decade, we had this peace process. Mm-hmm. How defining of a moment was this in the 90s for you? Oh, I think, well, I mean, I, I think it was probably bigger for obviously people who were directly affected and living in Northern Ireland and living on the border and who had, and or people who had like family members, et cetera, in the North. But definitely it was huge. I mean, I can remember walking into um, my family kitchen in Dingle in Green Street and just my mom and my auntie were crying and it was so, so huge. And then we turned on news and everyone was beeping their car horns and it was just massive there was just this collective feeling of I never thought this would happen and we're at this point and again you know you will and to be fair to Bertie of course he was actually you know he was really really pivotal in that whole thing Um, and there were so many interesting characters involved and I think we all felt so invested whether it was like Mo Molum or you know, you had um, you had Martin McGuinness, you had Ian Paisley. You, you just had so 
so many characters involved that we felt at that stage we knew them so well because they were just on the news every single night and they all seemed so entrenched it was really hard to believe that they'd gotten to this point where they kind of got it over the line but I mean really it was it was the people that got it over the line and you know you could say it was the politicians but it was really the country saying we don't want this to happen anymore that's you know that's really got it over the line as against the politicians who were sitting around and obviously disgusted at length etc but it was so huge and so seminal and you look at other situations around the world and people are very quick to say you know people always make the comparison you know with Israel and Palestine and they say we're they're never going to get to that stage where there's peace but people used to say that about Northern Ireland and you look back even at reading in the years and all these horrendous atrocities which happened throughout the decades. It is actually such a wonder. It's astounding that people were willing to just put that to one side and move forward. It is actually, I mean, it really is such a credit to the Northern, the people of Northern Ireland because I don't know what I have had that strength of character necessarily to, you know, if I'd lost a close family member and if I knew their killer was going to walk free. It's a big ask of a community to say, look, we have to actually park this because otherwise we're never going to move on. And again, it's something I think we need to give ourselves a pat on the back for that because it's so huge and nobody thought we would ever get to that point, but we did. Yeah. And it's become like an, like an export as well. Like yeah. we talked about Eurovision entries and Father Ted and Rona Keaton and Boys and stuff, but like also this is, re- this is a thing that's referenced throughout the world. It is. That's a really good point. Is Yeah. Isn't that such a, I mean, oh, that just gives me the shivers. It's like full body mm. chills. You're right. People do always use it as a reference point. And isn't it nice that people use that as a really hopeful reference reference point? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, I mean, it's, I, I went up there myself for a program that had um, people taken from all around the world. There are people from Kosovo, uh, Israel, Palestine, a few from a different, like, um, places in America and stuff like that that might have troubles and it was it was like it was really emphasized that this is the peace process it wasn't a deal that was struck on Good Friday in Stormont it was actually something that they worked on for years beforehand it took a lot of effort to do and has still been worked on decades later and that's the kind of thing that you need to aspire towards figure out how to move forward rather than just become entrenched and I mean mm. the way regular politics is going these days as well maybe we all need to start taking a few lessons from that as well and how we deal with each other for like non-violent issues as well, because otherwise you might end up always ending up what happened with America a couple of weeks ago, going yeah. the capital. Yeah. Not just- well, even, you know, I suppose even what Biden was talking about the inauguration and I thought his tone was pitch perfect at the inauguration when he talked about listening to one another. Well, speaking of Biden, let's bring it back around to a, a different American politician, one very prominent in the nineties, uh, Bill Clinton. How aware were you of the character of Bill Clinton or like how big of a presence did he have for you in the 90s? Did you have any particular oh, thoughts? Oh, we were on... all mad for Bill Clinton. <laughs> was that... it the sax solos oh, or what was it? I mean, do you know what? Sex I, well, I, I The old sax. saxophone. You know, he was he was really into the saxophone, yeah. really into the sax. Animaniacs. Um, oh my God, yeah. Do you remember Animaniacs? That's a whole <laughs> other episode. But no, I think with Clinton, the thing with Clinton was for us, like of course it was that thing of there was he was the epitome of the American dream and the whole story of how he came from a trailer park and a single parent family and she was so fascinating as uh, just as a personality and I guess then when there was the Irish link like we all kind of chose to ignore how tenuous the link to Ireland was and big it up as is our as is our want in this country but he was so charismatic that even like say looking back at the whole uh, like the whole scandal now and you know the the, the incident with Monica Lewinsky I mean obviously now looking back from our current vantage point it is insane that we still let Clinton away with that because we still viewed him with, I suppose, a certain level of forgiveness. And looking back on that situation now, if that situation had happened now, it would have been a completely different take. So you have this guy who is in the most powerful position probably in the world, politically speaking, who takes advantage of an unpaid 21, 22 year old intern. Like to think at the time we still managed to forgive Clinton it's just, it's it's probably, it shows just how endemic misogyny was in the 90s, mm. for sure. 
Um, but also I think that the perennial problem with Bill Clinton is even though we all know this stuff about him, he still has this likability, which is inexplicable. Like nobody can explain, the, like we all know these awful stories about Bill Clinton, but for some reason, people still give him a platform and he still has this I know like say my mom my aunties they would still have this grawl for Bill Clinton which does not make any sense given what we know now but I don't know maybe it's just because his story was so in- interesting I'm not quite sure what it was but- I think to a certain extent he's the super cute whore he's like the federal version yeah. of that yeah. he's managed to figure out how to he can shake all the babies kiss all the hands and everybody will just be all over it every single time and I think for us for Ireland's like even though he may not have had that much to do with it, he kind of swooped in at the end of the peace process and mm. bigged it up. And we were like, oh yeah, thanks Bill for bringing us all together. And we still, we still appreciate a lot. Like he's actually, he has pumped a lot. That thing I went to in the North, the peace process thing, that was the Clinton Institute in Enniskillen. Oh, wow. Okay. Was, Cause he's very invested in that. He is. Yeah. So he's still, and yeah. he still is. So I think particularly for Ireland, that's what makes us a lot more I th- willing to forget the fact that he was a sleaze. I think as well, it's like you think about the time when he was in power and when his image was being crafted in the 90s. There wasn't social media and there wasn't this kind of pervasive level of like seeing every aspect of a person and then having lots of conversations in different communities and circles about that person. It was very much the PR image that of the, you know, the young upstart sax playing left-leaning cool guy and that was an image and a brand that was crafted and put out and you read about it and that was that one image and there wasn't that same kind of critical analysis of this character because you were just getting this one very strong feed from one place that's very true and it was it was that kind of yeah people weren't portrayed in a multi-dimensional way so like monica Mm. Lewinsky was portrayed as this harlot, basically, who had seduced our lovely right. Bill. And then you had Linda Platt. She was portrayed as this villain. She was very much vilified. And there was no depth to any of these. Mm. And it's interesting to come back because Monica Lewinsky does talk about the fact that she was the first person that was ever cyberbullied, which is yeah. 100% true. And she's getting more of a, a platform now and her story is becoming, uh, that multidimensionality is coming out a little bit more for her, which is great. Of course. You know, the American crime series is, they did um, OJ and then they did the Versace yes. kid. They're going to do Watergate, or not, sorry, not Watergate, what do you call it? Clinton Gate as their next one, the Are Monica Lewinsky scandal. Yeah. Wow. So I think after that, we'll probably see him as a full villain. I mean, I think it's, but it's just, you feel so sad for her because her life has been so defined by this. And, you know, ultimately, especially in the wake of Me Too, like if that story had emerged now, it would have been such a different spin. But just the 90s was just such a horrible time in terms of sexism. And especially even as a young female, you know, coming of age and all that. I think we all internalize that. So again, the fact that she was portrayed in such a negative way, even though she was the victim there. And, you know, we all kind of internalize that idea that, oh, sure, look, but your bill's just a bit of crack. Like, you know, that that was all on her. Um, it's it's only now in the last few years, I think we're really revisiting and revisiting it and being like, whoa, okay. Mm. That was really, really awful. Yeah. And it's not that we don't have the same amount of work to do now as well. It's always like not immediately knee jerk to what what we've been raised with to think those things. It's like, oh, no, hang on, hang on. There's there's probably a lot more to this story than we assume in terms of like, oh, this guy is not just off the hook. You have to listen to her and believe her in that sense. And I think when Hillary was running, but you guys now would probably know this better than me, but I read somewhere recently enough that they were saying that Hillary had kind of tried to distance herself from Bill because obviously mm. we have all evolved in terms of how we view things and view these type of things. Um, and she, But it was only when they really brought him on board that like, I think her ratings actually went up when they brought Bill on board. Yeah. So it was really strange because it, again, this is what I'm talking about that. Like we all know he's a creep, but yet we were like, yeah, but he still, he still makes Hillary a bit more likable to see. It's so mad. It is. It's hard mm. to rationalize. It is. And sure. Look, I, yeah, I don't even know <laughs> how to properly rationalize, rationalize it. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fix it now. I want to talk about another politician from the UK who, 
in all respects, I've always found very creepy, but has never Tony. I've never had a reason to. Tony, smiley Tony Blair. Oh, I've always found him quite creepy, but I think a lot of other people think he's quite charismatic. Oh, no, he came across so disingenuous, I think, now looking back. I, I think even at the time, I mean, but again, actually, in terms of partners, wasn't Cherie really the interesting one there? Like, mm. I mean, t- like Tony, I think ultimately he was probably lucky in terms of the timing, he, we kind of viewed him, which is insane looking back now, as kind of this young, hip politician, which is just mad. And I think a lot of it was he just did a really good election anthem. Do you remember that one? Things can only get better. Things can only get better. <laughs> Professor Brian and, Cox. I mean, none of us really, really kind of actually kind of questioned what he was about. We were like, but he's got a good song. Which thing? So I think <laughs> When I are they going to get be better? Fine. But I mean, very, I mean, surely very weak as a leader now. Would we view him in that way? Is it fair to kind of I don't know. That well, I think he was, he was screwed over by what he did in 2000. So leading the United Kingdom to invade Iraq didn't really do much to help his, um, help his reputation. And then when the Labour Party went towards Jeremy Corbyn, people wanted to dismiss him as a very right wing version of what Labour was. So like mm-hmm. they, they didn't want that. Like it was the new Labour thing was a bad word. But now they're starting to swing the other way because Jeremy Corbyn did so poorly electorally last time. They're actually trying to swing back towards the Blair way of doing things. I think. Well, like, yeah, it, I suppose because Corbyn was, I get the, the thing with Corbyn is, is that on paper, I mean, he's everything you want in a politician on paper, but he is problematic in that so many people, he's so divisive. Mm. So I suppose it kind of, no more than the Democrats in the States, you know, we kind of view Labour in the UK and the Democrats in the States in a similar way that you think they're kind of progressive and free thinking. But I mean, ultimately, that's why they had to go with Biden in the end. I mean, I was just, I had to take the bed when Bernie pulled out that race. I'm Bernie.com, Bernie for days. But I suppose you have to go with kind of a centralised person to sway certain sections of the community, which is unfortunate. So I suppose you can see why people in the UK would be kind of veering back in that direction. Yeah, that would make sense now because that like they think that the ground is open because the Tories have gone so far to the right that they can try and grab back some of those votes and swing back up. But I don't know. I think things have changed a lot more. People expect more of your politicians. You can't just have a song and a smiley face and a lovely wife and then do really well. I think you need to have a couple of ideas behind you as well. So maybe if they got someone that had a song, a lovely wife and a smiley face, and good policies. Or at least two songs. At least two songs even. An album. Put out a whole election album. (laughs) Concept album. I'd say they have one of those politicians in Iceland for sure. (laughs) Yeah, George's dad. (laughs) George's son at this stage actually probably. Yeah, (laughs) probably. Kids must be, they must be pushing 30, are they? I'm not sure. <laughs> because she was definitely a mom. Like she had young kids in the 90s, as far as I remember. But maybe correct me on that. But I think she did. Yeah. We should we should have them on. See, see oh, yeah. if they have any political aspirations. That'd be great. Uh, I think we're coming towards the end of, the, of our chat now. But maybe we were thinking we could end on some um, kind of more, veer more back into maybe the pop culture side of things. More of your, the, what you talk about in up to 90 and talk about American TV that was like big, like it really hit its, pr- its prime and it was a big cultural export that we drank up over here. And we loved it. So, yeah, so things like Simpsons, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, ER, South Park, Seinfeld, all that kind of stuff. Is there anything political we can draw from these things 30 years on? Like, is there anything you look back well, on, on? I suppose the thing with TV, it was like it was getting a little bit more subversive in ways. So like the likes of South Park and even the Simpsons, like they were mm. definitely getting a little bit more political and a little bit more subversive for sure. Um, but I guess, and a lot of people do say that and say this about 90s TV, but you do look back now and so much of it does make you uncomfortable and it went completely over our heads at the time. So like even the fact that Friends is so whitewashed I mm. just think you wouldn't get away with a show like that now because there's just no diversity whatsoever in that show. Um, and it was a great or show. Big Bang for, Theory with... Uh, yeah. With what's his name? Yeah, actually, that's really true. But character. it does... I mean, you know, looking back at it now, it doesn't, it doesn't quite sit right. But I suppose there was definitely an advent of, I suppose we'd moved away from the family sitcom. Yeah. So the mm. 80s, I would always associate with those great, like, you know, family pains and... 
Um, what was the other one? Was it Growing Pains? Was the other growing one? Pains, yeah. Growing Pains, yeah. Family like Ties. Full House, yeah. Cosby full Show. House. Oh, yeah, all those. And the Cosby Show, of course. So it was kind of, it was an interesting time in that, like you were kind of moving away from that family unit and exploring people, almost forging their own families. Yeah. That, like mm. in, like through the, fr- you know, the, the friend network in say the likes of obviously Seinfeld and Friends and stuff. But, mm. you know, again, it probably makes for a little bit more uncomfortable viewing now looking back on it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely getting a bit more subversive, I think. Yeah, I think Seinfeld especially was really, really good at it as well because yeah, they, it was great. They, quite often they made fun of the fact that they were a whitewash show, which was like, I guess, you yeah. know, it's fine to point out and laugh at it. Obviously, be better if you weren't, but at least they were recognizing it and pointing it out where they'd have like, there was an entire episode where George, I watched it recently, was trying to find someone black so he could take a photograph with them to prove to his boss he wasn't a racist. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was at least conscious. Of, I suppose it was at least aware of yeah. it. Mm. But I can remember when the Friends cast were on Oprah. I don't know if you remember that. And Oprah made jokes saying, I think y'all should get a black friend. And everyone laughed their heads off. But actually you're like, yeah. Why wouldn't I you? I think you should. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's funny that the response was everyone was like, no. And even Oprah <laughs> was ludicrous. laughing along. But it was such yeah. a valid point. Yeah, even in later seasons, they could have, you know, when they brought in um, Paul Rudd. Instead of just bringing in another white character who became yeah. part of the cast, bring in some, some more diversity. I, I feel Paul Rudd was already in Friends. There were already about five Paul Rudds at that stage. <laughs> the proto Paul Rudd. I always yeah. feel with Paul Rudd, like he could be standing beside me in Super Value and I wouldn't know. You know what I mean? It's the same with that band Picture This. I'm like, Picture This, Paul Rudd. I just like. <laughs> Paul Rudd, there, I don't know about I picture this, but Paul Rudd I had a stag party. between them. Paul Rudd had a stag party in Killy Beggs, um, the town that I'm originally from. What? Yeah. Are you, by the way, sorry, Steve, are you from Killy Beggs? I'm a low, do you know the Moors? They're all fishermen in Killy Beggs. Everyone is. I, I think I know a few Moors that are fishermen. Steve's the only non-fisherman to ever step on Killy Beggs. I get seasick. Well, you didn't want to go grey, like my granddad at age nine. Um, no, but I've loads of cousins. I actually have loads of cousins in Killy Bags. Yeah. Yeah, loads. Ladies and gentlemen Gosh. from outside of Ireland, this is how we talk in Ireland. <laughs> I know. This is how we talk. And I won't, obviously we won't go into it now because it is digressing. But it was funny because the last time I met one of my cousins, and now he would have been like my mom's first cousin, and he came up and he was chatting me up. And I was like... <laughs> I actually nearly said his name. I won't say his name. I'll give him a fake name. I'll say John, even though his name was not John. John? John Moore? And he was like, and then I was like, John Moore? And he was like, do I know you? I was like, I'm Liz's daughter. And he was like, no! It's a very common thing. Oh my God. When you log into Tinder in Donegal, there's a special setting for how many removes of cousins that you're okay with linking up with. No, I think I'd probably shift to third cousin if I had to. But only if <laughs> the I had times to. were tough. Four o'clock. Yeah, that would be, my third cousin would be my favorite cousin. And sure, in Iceland, they're at it all the time. <laughs> and, you know, like it's, Bjork turned out grand, didn't she? Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on that incestuous note, I think we should bring it to a close. <laughs> Thank you so much, Julie. Uh, guys, such a pleasure. And thanks so much. It's a great podcast, by the way. I didn't say that at the start because I was banging on about my cash, but it's a great <laughs> podcast. Thank so you. Thanks and, uh, so much. Ladies and gents, if you want to listen to other great podcasts as well, Julie is the co-host of Up to 90, which is relevant to this one, but also, and we'll definitely have her back on to talk about this subject, Crime Land. Oh, I'd love to come back to talk true crime. I just love true crime as well. And I really enjoyed that 90s chat. No, it's been great. Thank you Fantastic. so much. Thank you. Thank you. Do you did you enjoy the nineties? Like, did you did this make you nostalgic going back? Not, yeah, like having this chat. Like the three years of life that I have on you in this world means that I probably mm. remember a lot more of the nineties as they happened. Yeah, like two thousand was a very memorable thing that happened. Like I remember leading up to that and all that. Yeah, no, it did. There maybe I kind of want to go back and play original Pokemon. I wanna I want to watch more Simpsons. Mm. should always want to watch more Simpsons and I want to read more about big Bill Clinton and what a shit he was <laughs> yeah uh, uh, Kate read Rodman um, the, I don't know oh, if you've yeah. heard about that the like yeah. alternative history kind of like what would have happened if Hillary wasn't bogged down by <laughs> Bill Clinton and yeah became, don't, don't spoil you know, it for me but was it good I won't I won't uh, yeah she loved it she loved cool. it so that, that's a good that's a good actually that's probably yeah. a good reading recommendation. Another, uh, Elaine, another listener to the show also recommends it. So it's mm-hmm. on the list, way up high. Yeah, there we go. 
Uh, I think that's it though for now. Uh, again, if you wanna, if if you are still hungry for more what on politics, you can head on over to headstuffpodcast.com. This was only notes. dipping the toe into what we have. We have much you more. You can dip all manner of appendages into what on politics. We don't care. You just got to pay us some money to do so. You just got to pay a nominal fee of five quid plus fat a month, and we will hit you up with the primo um, bonus content. Again, we're going to be adding a lot more to that. We've got big plans. And yeah, Pod on Politics on Instagram and on Twitter, politics at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an old message, let us know what we should be talking about. That's always appreciated. Uh, again, links as well to all of Julie's various podcast endeavors in the show notes. If you want to check them out. She's very funny to watch. She has hilarious updates and little skits about current affairs and whatever else just pops into her head. She is very funny. Very good impersonator. Yeah. Yeah. Very good comedian. Wonderful funnier than will ever be you know what i bet you she wouldn't rely too heavily on the crutch of ham to get her through the opening of a podcast it's true she'd probably be able to work in many other uh, meats. she would have been on the pastrami pepperoni mm. give me three more uh roast beef turkey and bologna human oh yeah Ooh. well they're the same they're the same bologna and human yeah i've got some links to send you why do you think it's so cheap yeah, exactly. There's so many. There's a lot of people around. A lot of notice. people around. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple! There's too many conspiracy theories out there already. We should not be doing this. <laughs> Breaking news: Richie says baloney is people. <laughs> this was me, da. <laughs> he shouted while holding up a pack. <laughs> uh, see you, Richie. See ya. Come on, sissy that pod, let's get thickening! Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, sissy that pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right, whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All-Stars. Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.